Welcome back to MEP Life, our MEP Life indeed, with Judith Bunting and Caroline Bowden. So we are the MEPs, as you know by now, for the southeast of England and the southwest of England. And with us today we have... Uh, Ed Davey. I'm the acting co-leader of the Liberal Democrats and the Liberal MP for Kingston and Surbiton. And we're very excited to have Ed, who has come over to Brussels for 24 hours, a whistle-stop visit, to see us in the last, the second to last week of our job. So coming to visit the MEP delegation and, and also having lots of useful visits with other people, mainly with our lovely colleagues from Renew Europe who are coming to terms with the fact that they're going to lose 17 yeah. buddies next week and, and have just been so nice to us, haven't they, Judith? The oh, last yes. couple of weeks have been... Oh, Dan, it's touching. full of hugs and tears. <laughs> and, I have to say, there's, yeah. there's this emotional thing going on here and probably across... The UK for those of us who, who are in despair about Brexit. Um, for me, as I got off uh, the Eurostar, coming to here, I mean, I remember I used to come as an uh, MP in the past and as a minister, really finding such fantastic people to do such fantastic work on things like climate change here in Europe. And I can see in the group of MEPs who are the most, one of the most talented groups we've ever had, if not ever, um, their unhappiness. And I've seen one or two tears already. Oh, yeah. And it just happens kind of spontaneously when you're not expecting it. We've given up trying to stop it. <laughs> but can I latch on to something you just said there? So the very first time I tell you, dear listeners, that I ever clapped eyes on Ed Davey, or to be honest, scrabbled around looking up his name to find out who he was, was <laughs> a fundraiser um, in South London in... Putney, I don't know, Wimbledon, somewhere like that. And I was a leaflet stuffer. I had done nothing but deliver leaflets. I wasn't thinking about doing anything. But I discovered that if I paid 20 quid at this fundraiser and went along for a glass of wine, I could witness what an MP was like. I'd never seen one. I'm so disengaged <laughs> with politics, I can't tell we're you. We're very weird. At this point. <laughs> but, no, you were very impressive. Um, partly, Thank you me. were nice to somebody who was new, and I can't tell if we've got anybody important here listening. Always be nice to the new people. Yeah. Um, but also you talked about being a minister because you were already a Secretary of State for Energy and you talked about being in Europe and speaking to other ministers and not just waiting for people to tell you you could do something, but starting to get a group of people together to take action about renewable energy. I think I'm remembering this right. <laughs> and I didn't understand. So Almost. Explain. I mean, um, I was Secretary of Energy and Climate Change, and as a good Lib Dem, climate change was a thing I was passionate about, been passionate about for so many years, and the Liberal Democrats surprisingly had the best policies. <laughs> and I was able to come to Europe, work with colleagues, whether it's in Germany, France, Spain, everybody, and try to work out how we could improve action on climate change, not just in the UK, but across the whole of Europe, and through Europe taking action, impress the rest of the world at the United Nations. And there was a time then uh, when Germany was not showing the leadership that it had previously, because I have to say our Liberal colleagues weren't quite so strong on climate change as Angela Merkel and the CDU. And there was no one leading in Europe. And because Britain was at the table and I was a Liberal Democrat Secretary of State, I could lead. And so I formed a group called the Green Growth Group. Got about eight ministers from different uh, member states who shared our ambitions on climate change. And we worked out how could we make sure that Europe increased its ambition and was doing more and more on climate change. 
And actually, uh, just early today, I met one of the ministers who I'd worked with, Pascal Confin, um, from France. And he was a real uh, colleague with people like Martin Lillegaard from Denmark to make sure that Europe was way more ambitious than the Commission wanted or that some member states wanted. And because we were here, because we were here in force and had power, we made a massive difference. And you know, we, we got Europe to uh, agree to something which, at the time, no one thought we'd achieve. And what was that? Well, we got 2030 targets for greenhouse gas emission reductions. And I'll tell you what's really ironic, and I was talking to, to Pascal Confin about this this morning. We had struggled to get Europe to agree to cut greenhouse gases by 2030 by at least 40%. Things have moved on just mm. in a few years, and now they're talking about raising ambitions. And I'll tell you what, a few years ago, we were told 40% was too difficult. Yeah. So don't ever believe what they tell you. We should be more and more ambitious on climate change. We can tackle it on, on climate change, and we should really go for it with really tough targets and tough laws. And I think what you've said is, is, is an example of why this is so difficult for us to leave, because, you know, people, so many people in the UK don't really understand what what happens here and, and what the work involves. And I, I would say that's probably true in other member states as well, not just the UK. But, you know, since we've been here, we've learned so much about what you can do here and, and how working together is really valuable. And the links we've made with our colleagues in Renew um, on all sorts of things, you know, trade and human rights and, um, you know, our foreign delegations and environmental work, shows that these links are really really important and actually we can do more together yes. so walking away from it is or being being wrenched away from it is is really hard because we know that there's important work going on here and in fact it's just beginning with the new commission so yes. it feels well, wrong to just be be walking be away walking away dear listeners those of you in the Lib Dems who campaigned for that amazing result we achieved and help make the European movement in Britain stronger than it's ever been, just as we're walking away, and fought for Britain's progressive politics. I want to tell you that you managed to get 16 amazing people elected, and they really made such a huge difference in such a short time. And that's why it's even more sad, because we're here able to play a role. And um, just talking to MEPs from other member states, they are so sad to see the Brits leaving, and particularly our Liberal Democrat MEPs here, who, who they've really taken to their hearts. So, Ed, let me ask you another question. And in fact, I'm going to skip the amazing result in 2019 and talk about the general election. Mm. So I got castigated online for, on television, trying to make the point that although, given the first-past-the-post system, we didn't win as many seats as we should... We increased our vote share by something quite dramatic. And and I was taken to task and laughed at for saying that. And I just want to find out, what do you think, you know, is that unrealistic? We did bring, and again, dear listeners, you have supported us and you've stuck with us. And I think that's good. And I hope you don't go away because it's the only way we can keep moving forward, both with you know, connections with Europe but also as Liberal Democrats. And, and I want to hear yeah. what you think. Well, in, uh, my view of the election was it was hugely disappointing and that we not only didn't meet our expectations, which we'd raise expectations, let's face it, and I'd half believe some of that, 
Um, but we actually did worse than our worst fears. And I think we should just hold our heads up and, and, and hands up and, and be honest about that. You're right to say there were some points that we could, you know, uh, talk about which are more positive, the vote share, of course. Um, but the vote share was not as high as when I got elected in 97, where we were 16.7%, and I won by a majority of 56 votes. You know, that felt like a good leap in vote share. Yes. So, yes, it was an increase, but from a low base. I thought the most important result to point to, to give Liberal Democrats heart and anyone on the progressive, progressive side of politics heart, is the number of second places we now have. And often people don't talk about second places and they laugh about second places. But after the 2017 election, we only had 38. Now we have 91. Ooh. 80 of those are against the Tories. That makes us extraordinarily relevant. That magic number. Yeah, 80. Yeah, 80. <laughs> uh, but that makes us really relevant for the next election because there's no way we'll be able to get rid of this right-wing nasty government that we've got unless the Liberal Democrats beat Tory MPs. Labour can't do it by themselves. And we know the SNP, you know, we don't really want them to win because they want to break up our country. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we need to be be determined that, yes, it was bad. And we've got a general election review that's been set up, chaired by Dorothy Thornhill, the former mayor of Watford. So there'll be a no-holes-barred uh, learning of what went wrong at all different levels, because things did go wrong. I mean, let's be honest. And it wasn't just Jeremy Corbyn causing problems and just the Brexit party and difficult those that they were for us. We've got to learn our lessons so we improve. I am not satisfied at all, not just by what happened in 2019, but 2017, 2015. We've had three bad election results in four years, and if we don't realise we've got to improve our performance, then more fool us. But on the back of that, I think our values, what we stand for, mm. are so right and so in tune with the British people. So I'm still as confident as ever that we can win for liberal democracy and can persuade voters to come back and give us another chance. Yeah, OK. Caroline? Yes, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And I think going forward, we have to, we have to talk more about our values and we have to tap into to the fact that actually what we stand for is what most level-headed, rational... British people believe in tolerance and openness and exactly. friendship and, and internationalism and, and outward looking. Yes, yeah. outward looking to Europe. And also somehow or other, we've we've got to, to, to get these values to, to mean something at home as well. We've got a very, very divided country. And so and it's, last week, for example, we were traveling home from Strasbourg and Eddie Mayer was desperately trying to get one of us to speak mm -hmm. on um, his programme on LBC and in fact in the end they dropped it because we were all at different airports and train stations and it wasn't going to work but what they wanted us to go on and talk about was the Big Ben clock and we had just left our last session in Strasbourg <laughs> sure. and I was desperate to get on the programme because I, I wanted to wait until I was live on air and then say look you know you're talking about this party and ringing this bell which is just fueling this division yeah. you know celebrating something that only half the country wanted ignoring the other half and, and actually, let's talk about what's really happened this week. Let's talk about what's really important, which is what yeah. all the European media are asking us about. And none of the British media are interviewing yeah. us to find out how we feel in our last weeks in Strasbourg. I mean, we have done so far what I know of. We've done French, German, Chinese, Japanese, pan-European, Czech and Dutch media. None of us have been interviewed yet by the British media to find out. Yeah you know, what's going isn't that, on. And... Isn't that shocking? And it shows that the priorities of the British media sometimes, how they've not 
actually help people understand the benefits of Europe. Oh, really? You know, there really, are international yes. issues yes. which one country by themselves can't solve, so you work with yes. other countries. Mm. And Europe is a really intelligent way of doing that. Let me give you one example that happened in Westminster which didn't get the coverage, um, which has got European connotation, because it's, it's a, a change in the law that's going through with the Brexit bill. And that's the rights of child refugees. Oh, yeah. yes. And this government is undermining the rights of child refugees, the most vulnerable people in our world. And, you know, when you look at how other European countries, how the European Union gives some protections to to child refugees and to ensure that family reunion can exist, which surely must be the right thing to do, Britain is one of the worst in Europe. So maybe and you can explain why, why is this child refugee issue bound up with the Brexit um, well, be bill. because in the bill, I mean, it shouldn't be, uh, but they've decided to take away rights uh, of child refugees that currently exist. And there's been a cross-party amendment in the House of Lords which has got rid of this appalling proposal. It will then come to the House of Commons and hopefully we can persuade the government to do the right thing. Uh, so cross-party, sorry, cross-party, so Tory and Labour? Yeah, yeah, in the House Blimey. of Lords, we had, we had, we had oh, even Tories. But as we saw Project. yesterday in the House of Lords, I mean, the House of Lords are great, aren't they? They're always, you know, stuffed with Liberal Democrats, of course, so we love it. But, yes. um, you know, they... they I'm not going to get this right, am I? They, they, they take the time to be thoughtful. Sorry, so, I don't know if that's so, what you were no, going to no, say. No, no, I was going to say. So the House of Lords put forward three amendments, didn't they, the other night, all of which passed and have gone back to the House of Commons and are going to be overruled again and just ignored. And Well, but possibly. I mean, I always live in hope. I'm a, <laughs> liberal, I'm a liberal Democrat. Uh, but, but you're right. I mean, they will probably insist on the government gets their way. Um, but I think... Uh, on this particular issue of, of child refugees, it's, it's hideous. And we need to make the government realise that people did not vote to leave and trash child refugees. No. They just didn't. And that's a yeah. values thing. That comes back to, exactly. to the values yeah. we stand for. And I haven't been scrolling through Twitter because I was not listening, but that last session in Strasbourg, we were looking at migration, biodiversity, freedom of expression, and preserving the rule of law. But it included migration. And, it, and a couple of weeks ago... Well, there's a lot about migration goes on in the EU mm. and being here helps to make things better. Mm. Uh, what was also interesting I picked up from, from talking to you and, and, and to others here is the need to make sure we're looking after the citizens of Europe, the people, ordinary <laughs> people mm. who've made their lives in the UK from other EU states or British citizens who've made their lives elsewhere in Europe. And the government just has not done enough. Mm. Uh, and uh, while we've managed to move them through this process, so there's a little bit more protection than they had originally thought, we've still got to fight for the rights of ordinary people yeah. as we approach these, like the next stage of these Brexit negotiations, mm. what I call Johnson's Brexit experiment. Mm. Yeah. So I think um, Ed actually has to go to another meeting. Okay. Um, so we're going to have to take a bite. We could sit and talk to Ed all day, but he has to go. So... I'd just like to say thank you for coming to visit us and it's really great to have you here and have you in the European Parliament and we hope that you will help maintain our links with our Renew colleagues. You've met lots of them over the last couple of days and, and it's great to think that the Liberal Democrats in Westminster will still have those links with our colleagues here in the European Parliament once we've gone. So... Well, can I say thank you, Mercy and Danke, uh, <laughs> to, to Caroline and to Judith uh, to thank you both of you and all the team and your staff for the amazing work you have done uh, to make it clear that I think the party wants you, all of you, 
to play a role in the future. Just because the Tories are doing this disastrous thing to our country, we've seen some amazing talent. We want to use that going, going forward. And your final point, Caroline, as the most pro-European party in British politics, we need to ensure that our ties to Europe, our sister ties within the Liberal family, through Renew and Aldi, uh, but more broadly understanding what's happening in Europe, we know about that. And um, it's really important we continue those links going forward because, you know, who knows what the future holds. I need to do a PS. I'm really sorry. So, <laughs> PS, guys. People want to know about the leadership election. OK. So, we want to know what's happening. We need to know the timetable. We don't need I... to discuss the personalities, but people, people want to know. Let yeah. me just tell you what the federal board have decided. Yes. Uh, they decided on Saturday that the leadership election should begin after the local elections. So after May the 7th. And I think that was the right decision uh, for a whole set of reasons. But most important also, we focus on the local elections. Yes. We focus on uh, getting behind Siobhan Benita in London and so on. Um, and it's right that the party should do that. Once those local elections are out of the way, the nominations will open in the usual way and they've set a timetable such that the, the new permanent leader will be announced on the 15th of July. Fantastic. Thank you very much. You're Cheers. Welcome. Cheers. And thanks, again, Ed, thank you for coming. Quickly, um, before the end of the podcast, uh, let's just do a quick wrap-up of what... Have you had your last committee meeting, Judith, this week? I had my last and most important committee meeting this week. So I've talked before about the legislation with the European Institute for Innovation and Technology, where basically I got to have my say about their agenda for the next seven years. And not yesterday, day before yesterday, I presented it to the committee. Your piece of legislation. So with my, your name on it. With my name on it. And it is there in the European archives forever. Uh, although it, it says draft opinion and there are 95 amendments. Um, and it was really, really interesting. I didn't, dis I discovered I was the shadow on something else. Um, but we had a discussion. I wouldn't say there was crazy debate. Um, I don't think there are going to be many amendments because there weren't many people Julie Ward, Labour member, she made a very good point. Um, and on the back of that, I have put in an amendment to my own amendments. Um, but uh, she was right that we'd missed out any reference to STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, arts and mathematics. Mm -hmm. And if we're talking about um, promoting, which in one part of this legislation we are, we're talking about promoting innovation in the creative industries. Well, it's nuts not to include a mention of arts in that. Yeah. So, um, no, it was a good debate. And, yeah, and then I didn't quite cry afterwards, but the German chair presented part of it in English, saying, and oh, and it was very, very moving, very sad. Oh, well these, done. Well, thank you. And what about you? Have you done all your meetings now? Uh, yeah, so I had my last meeting of the Environment Committee uh, yesterday. And in that meeting, the, the, so the Environment Committee has drawn up a written opinion on the withdrawal agreement. Um, and the full title of our committee is the European Committee on the Environment, Public Health and Food Safety. So that opinion involved things like environmental standards and food safety obviously and also access to medicines and medical mm. supplies and radioisotopes so that committee covers quite a lot of things that have been flashpoints in the brexit discussion and things that people are quite concerned about um, it was a very good letter it addressed all these points all the concerns that the european union have things that that need to be raised in negotiations and resolved um 
access to medicines is something they're very very keen to to in you know to to, to be be careful of. Uh, one of my French colleagues, Véronique, um, had a meeting yesterday with the British Medical Association following our, our meeting with the BMA uh, to talk about um, medicines and also uh, mutual recognition of professional um, uh, qualifications. So, so they wrote this great letter. Um, the last line of it said that they recommended that we... Uh, voted for the withdrawal agreement, which I found very difficult. And um, so the way the committee worked was each the head of delegation spoke and my colleague Niels Torvald from Finland spoke for Renew Europe and he basically said, anybody who still goes to church, please pray for the United Kingdom because they need your prayers. <laughs> um, and... And then Alexandra Phillips from the Green Party was there. She she read a statement and then I made some remarks and then Rory Palmer from Labour made some remarks. Um, the chair said that he would give the floor to his British colleagues for one last time. Um, so that was quite hard and we did our little speech and then everybody clapped and the three of us just sat there and it was really tough, actually. I mean, I didn't cry. I've cried quite a bit on and off, but I didn't cry Um at that yesterday but, but it's hard isn't but it? it felt like it felt yeah. like that was you know that part of my work is done now and yeah that's tough yeah it is tough it is tough and I know we keep on talking to you about being useful but I think it's because we're surprised we didn't expect to be this useful this soon we didn't know there'd be the opportunity and it does come down to the fact that it's not an oppositional parliament. Um, everybody is expected to work. Mm. And I might not like the Brexit party. I mean, I don't like the Brexit party. But Claire Fox turns up to the meetings mm. and does the work. Mm. Oh, she does. Yeah. And she represents people. Uh, um, now, on the Brexit party, yes. so somebody else who turns up to meetings is... It's somebody I have sparred with quite a lot on social media, as, as many of you will know, but uh, June Mummery, uh, who yes. goes to the Fisheries Committee meetings. Now, yes. one thing you can say about June Mummery is she really, really cares passionately about fishing communities in the United Kingdom, yeah. and she has fought for them for years, and that's why she got involved in this this thing, because she felt that Brexit would be better for the fishing community. So you can't deny her determination and passion to support those people. Now, I don't agree with the way she's going about it, but I don't doubt for a minute that she cares. And, and this week has been extraordinary because she posted a photo on social media of her last, I think she said penultimate, it was possibly penultimate or last fisheries committee meeting that she was going to be at. And she actually said in her tweet, who is going to be here to hold these people to account when we've gone? <laughs> I mean, you couldn't make it up. Oh, dear. June, no one will be here from the UK to yes. hold these people to account, if that's what you feel you need to do, or to work with them, because we're leaving. And yeah. I just despair. I really despair. You know, yeah. if the penny hasn't dropped now, then it's never yeah. going to drop. That actually we are better in here at the table, having these discussions, helping yeah. make decisions, rather than being shut out of the room. Yes, just... absolutely. And also, I've spoken to more and more people over the last few weeks. I've spoken now to businessmen. I've spoken even to some leavers. And I still cannot get a coherent economic... There are many emotional arguments for leaving, but there's no economic argument for a benefit to the UK. And if you take those two things together, it's not like we're abandoning a seat at the table because there are great riches. We're walking away 
you know, when that last bong of Big Ben goes on the um, Jan 31st, we will lose influence and we do not gain any more control. We do not gain any more power and we will end up being quite a lot poorer. So why do these people want to celebrate? I don't know. Anyway, so... We're going to probably have one more little podcast next week because we feel that it would be right to say goodbye at the end of this journey that we've been on together. Yeah. Um, and next week is the very last week. We do have to vote on the Brexit withdrawal bill. We have to pack up our offices. Yeah. Say goodbye to our staff whose contracts all finish on January 31st. But before that... We have a Kaylee tonight, organised by <laughs> Sheila Ritchie. <laughs> Alistair Carmichael's coming over from London. Oh, He's going to do a whiskey tasting. There's going to be haggis and there's going to be Scottish country dancing and it's going to be fantastic. We are going yeah. out with a bang. We are still celebrating, <laughs> <laughs> commiserating, whatever you want to call it. We're drinking. Yeah, Our livers are going yes. to recover in February, I think. Dry January has not happened for the British MEP delegation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we can say that very, very securely. Yep. Okay. All right. Bye-bye, guys. And um, we'll come back and talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.